0: This episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast is brought to you by, well, the Creative Clinician's Corner, my consulting um, business that helps therapists bring to life their practice um, and is really kind of the hub of where this show is. And um, I just wanted to let you know that we're going to be opening up opportunities to participate in the six-month mastermind Um, group. Um, I've hosted this group the past two years, and it's usually a small group, but that intimacy is really nice and supportive and nurturing and kind. And um, it's just a great way to have consistency and accountability in what you're doing as you're taking steps that feel uncomfortable and maybe risky as you're starting your business or growing your business. Um, the mastermind group is, is really for folks in those early stages. If you're already wildly successful, this is not the group for you. Um, This is a group for folks that are starting out. They're feeling a bit nervous. They need support. They need resources to kind of help organize them along the way. And, um, and they're looking to be doing that in community with other folks that are doing the same thing. Um, So if that sounds like you check it out, Um, it's going to start in February, it'll run February to through July. And it's going to be on Mondays at 1pm. We'll have three live um, zoom meetings per month. Um, The fourth meeting will be like a co-working, uh, session that folks can meet together and work on specific, um, tasks that they're developing in their business. And it's structured where one meeting per month is more of like training guidance, um, The others are hot seat style, where you present something that you're working on, something that you're having a challenge with, and then you receive support and feedback from the group um, about that. And I'll be giving lots of templates and resources, things that you can download to guide you in that process. And we also have a private Facebook group where we stay connected uh, throughout the weeks. Um, and even the folks that were in the group this year decided they wanted to continue to meet. So they've been meeting um, and doing like once a month uh, co-working uh, Zoom groups to stay connected and to continue to support one another. So um, it's a really nice Group. If you're interested, uh, you can go over to um, creative clinicians forward slash mastermind group. Um, it's also under the lab tab. If you click on that, uh, the button will pop down. And there you'll find lots of um, ways on the sales page to set up a 20 minute call with me to really see if this is the right thing for you. Um, If it is awesome, but if not, maybe there's something else I might be able to recommend that would be beneficial for you at this stage of where you're at. Um, So I hope to hear from you. And uh, maybe even get to know you a bit more in 2023. And um, I'll just share with you, um, you know, what somebody shared with me, Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who was on the show recently, um, or maybe she'll be on the show in um, a couple of episodes. Uh, She's been participating in the group the past two years. And this is what she said. Um, And she gave me permission to use that, to use it. So she said, this is my second year participating in the mastermind. And wow, Raina is so skilled at creating a supportive group environment while skillfully inviting participants to work at the edges of their mindset barriers. I gained so much from being a part of the group, including the confidence to keep taking bigger and bigger steps forward in my business, which is so awesome. And I love being able to support and witness that um, that growth um, in the folks that I'm working with. So, if it sounds interesting to you, um, please uh, sign up for one of those twenty minute calls, and we'll see if it's a good fit. All right, back to the show. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. It's episode eighty six, and today I'm speaking with. Uh, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, EMDR and Brain Spotting Therapist, and Certified Daring Way Facilitator, and she also happens to be a registered yoga teacher. Her name is Kristen Boyce, and she also um, has her own podcast called Closing the Chapter, which or excuse me, Close the Chapter, which I highly recommend and um, highly recommend you check out her content. She's really amazing and shares really wonderful resources um, with the world through both her podcast and um, her videos on Instagram. So today we're going to be speaking about um, groups practice she owns a group practice and um and we're going to talk all about that like what are some systems that help people who want to run a group practice what are some things that she learned um about onboarding new therapists and um you know just how to stay connected when we're working in a remote office, right? Where people aren't necessarily together and interacting all the time. Um, Anyway, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Kristen Boyce.
1: The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of The Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm really excited to welcome and speak with my next guest. Her name is Kristen Boyce. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's the owner of Pathways to Healing Counseling and the Close the Chapter podcast host. As a certified Daring Way facilitator, she was trained by Dr. Brené Brown on her research with shame, courage, and vulnerability. She is EMDR trained, which is one of the most effective research-based trauma treatment modalities modalities, along with brain spotting, another trauma modality. She specializes in improving self-worth, helping couples and families resolve conflicts and develop powerful communication skills, effective parenting strategies, making life transitions, grief and loss, reducing anxiety and working through trauma. Most importantly, she instills hope, helps people create possibilities and develop a sense of inner peace. Prior to entering the counseling field, Kristen was an executive at a Fortune 500 company. She is passionate about helping her clients reach their goals along with speaking and presenting
2: workshops on a variety of topics. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Raina, so much for having me today. I've been looking forward to our conversation. I can't wait to jump in. I'm super excited too. Um, And
0: we're going to focus our conversation around group practice, But before we go there, I would love to talk with you a little bit about your transition out of corporate America and into running your own practice. And I'm wondering if there are skills, skill sets in particular that were really an asset for you um, as you made
2: this transition. Yes, that's a great question. Coming from a Fortune 500 company, there was a lot of structure mm-hmm. and policies and procedures in place to help things run smoothly and efficiently. And I think I have been able to take that framework along with branding because I was in marketing. I was mm-hmm. um really focused on sports marketing, which is totally different than what I'm doing now, which has helped me so much as a business owner and a clinician. So I think having that branding presence and learning about branding and how important what, you know, the values of the brand consistency in what your brand looks like, and then having policies and procedures in place, systems in place helped me kind of systematize brand pathways to healing counseling, which is my group practice and create some structure Without that experience, I think it would have been a lot harder to make the transition Mm. for me personally. So it helped me have basically a foundation in place to learn how to build a business. Yeah, that makes
0: sense. Um, Corporate America really wants things standardized and they want to be able to evaluate and measure everything. So having highly systematized approaches um, makes sense. I think that's one of the things that a lot of therapists want to get away from as they move out into private practice, right? There's like so much rigidity Mm -hmm. um, and not just rigidity, but um, duplication of certain things like redundancy. Um, And so they kind of want to step away from that in their own private practice. However, I think we really do need to be able to have certain systems in place in order to make us more efficient, to make our lives easier. Um, And like, just to be more effective, I think in the way we're working, um, like that efficiency and effectiveness piece, what are some systems that you systems and processes that you've created in your group practice that really make a huge impact in just your day-to-day life?
2: First and foremost, I think when you're starting a a group practice, I didn't, uh, you and I were talking before we came on how I didn't start off deciding I'm going to start a group practice. I was just a solo practitioner. I wanted the freedom and I was just building my own clientele at that Mm -hmm. point. And so to then transition into some fundamentals that I think were essential to building those systems, one was the the brand, like my name, the company name, the logo, the brand feel, the values of the company, that helped me kind of create what systems now do I need in place, which is paperwork. Mm -hmm. Very, very important that the paperwork is systematized. So now that I'm on an EHR platform, that you can systematize all the paperwork i'm paperless yeah and i am telling you that is a game changer thank you covid because we got away from files and scanning to now everything is automated through our ehr system so all the client intake paperwork is there All of the forms we need, we can just upload them into the portal, and give the client has the login information. It sends them an email that we've uploaded a form or we've uploaded a piece of paperwork, and it's all right there, one-stop shop. That is the number one system that I think is essential to the efficiency of scaling a you know a private practice, especially if you're going into a group for consistency of the forms. So the EHR platform you pick, which I use therapy notes Mm -hmm. for us is great because we do the telehealth through that. We have all of the forms there. And then we have a centralized place for all of our our, our other information that the therapists need. We have two places. We have Dropbox, which can feel a little old school, but it's all organized Mm -hmm. by folder. And then we also have Google Docs which I love. We did start to do an um, intranet, which is like a website. I know you've done it and I love yours. I think that's so helpful. Do you find that helpful? I found it helpful because it
0: organizes all of the stuff that is in Google docs that that even if you do organize it with labels, it's still really difficult to like map out and navigate where the intranet, intrasite, I think allows for more effective organization, but it links to the stuff that's in the Google Docs account or the spreadsheets, or like there's forms for people to send up you know, copy and upload their, um, images of their, you know, updated insurance and updated license. And then it goes right into, you know, the designated folder for that. And that's nice because that saves time on the
2: administrative end. For sure. That's so those, the, I think that is essential. The other system I created, more recently in the last three years was an onboarding system, an onboarding process. So what I did is I decided I'm going to make loom. That's a a platform videos, walking everybody through what you need to know when you come on board at pathways to healing counseling. And it's me walking people through, um, kind of a welcome video. Here's our values. Here's how, you know, we work with clients all the way through to here's how you use therapy notes. Here's how you use our system. Here's how you, um, onboard a client. Although I have an assistant that onboards the client, I want them to be aware of how we do it and familiar with that. Mm-hmm. And he, just kind of a, a, overall, how does the company work inside and out? So that has been so wonderful. Cause when I'm onboarding someone, they can go at their own pace, watching the videos and that seems to really resonate with people with their busy lives. So and people like to see your face. So I found that to be somewhat comforting to the nervous system. Like, who am I going to be working with? And how does that all work? So I, that's also been extremely helpful. And we have a packet we have when we onboard somebody, you know, a kind of a checklist of what we need. So they know what to expect. So the onboarding process and having a system for that is also essential for the new person coming in and for our team in general. And then the last system, and I wouldn't even say it's a system. I would say it's more of a connecting point for our, our team is every Wednesday we meet from nine to 1030 and have a team meeting. It used to be in person. Now it's via zoom because some of our folks are hybrid and some are just telehealth only and we do vulnerability and together. So we talk about what's going on in your life. What do you need support around? How can we walk alongside you? Because we're living out what we're working with clients and hoping clients do. We're living that out as a team. And that one-on-one connection as a team each week, we know each other really well. We I love that. We talk about, we can do case consultation during that time too. And then I'll throw in a, a quick training or we might have some, a guest speaker come in for like 15 minutes from, we just had someone from Promises, what's is a residential treatment facility, come in, introduce themselves, you know, or someone in the community mm-hmm. come in and introduce themselves and meet our team. So it's a great team building, but networking in a way to create connection, not only with our own team, but outside of our team. That's fabulous. I know, um, a
0: colleague, a local colleague, and she was on the podcast really early on her name's charity. Um, she has a group and she has something similar and she invites people from the community in, I don't know if it's like once a month, but there's a. System around it where different people from different um, community partner agencies that they could be potentially referring to, or the agency could be referring to them. They come in, they have a meeting, and get to meet everybody. I feel like that is a really um, powerful thing to do for business growth. In addition to your like team camaraderie and and development too.
2: It really is. And we have built such a, I would say not to toot our own horn, but a very good reputation in the community because we do reach out and try to build those connections by inviting them into the, like, even we we can do attorneys, some of the community team leaders we've done, um, fellow, even fellow therapists in the area. So Mm -hmm. that have different specialties, so it's like, we're not threatened at all. We're not like, oh, I'm afraid I'm gonna lose business. I'm like, no, there's plenty to go around and we might not specialize in little children, you know, play therapy, someone else might. So let's invite him or her, them in and connect. Mm-hmm. And that has been so helpful and you never know when you might need each other. I, I 100% agree. I I really
0: believe in the spirit of collaboration over competition. There's no competition. Um, And when you're able to have that perspective and that sense of openness, and you're able to build a great community of people that are going to support you and what you're doing, but also where you can effectively support the people that you're serving when you can't provide what they need, right? We're, we can't be a jack of all trades, I guess, um, in terms of like, the therapy that we offer, everybody specializes in something different. And, you know, if somebody presents with a, a particularly challenging issue that there's nobody on the team to, you know, work with that, then ethically, we have to We have to have somebody else to refer
2: to and why not, why not make friends with them? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's a win-win for everybody at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I started that really early and I'm glad once I started the group practice and I'm really glad I did. It's something I've continued to do and the team really likes meeting different professionals in each industry and area. Cause then we have, a we can say we personally met the person. I feel hesitant to give a referral unless I have some sort of feedback mm-hmm. or I've met the person personally. Right. Right. No, that makes sense. Um,
0: sometimes it's, it, it's challenging to meet people, but, um, if when all possible, Uh, This way you start to develop a relationship and understand who they are and, you know, what are their, what are their assets? Um, It makes you, it makes it like a better, more accurate way of referring, right? Because we could easily refer to somebody else because we think they might be able to address said challenge, but then the client gets there and they're like, oh no, actually like that doesn't work. And then they need to be referred to somebody else, which can feel really off-putting for the client. Yes, exactly. Yeah. How many people are there in your practice?
2: We have 15 clinicians. Yes. And that was not my intention at all. This is the growth of our practice. And we specialize in EMDR and brain spotting. Mm. So we are known for trauma work. And we built that niche pretty early on. I was trained in EMDR fairly early, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Now it's pretty much a lot of people know what EMDR is. Um, Eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. It's a form of trauma therapy. And that became, as that grew, and we became known for that. That helped us build referral systems because people would, of course, report that they were feeling better. Then they would go tell someone else, and that really has grown our practice tremendously. Having that clear focused niche, and we do other types of therapy. So it's not just trauma therapy. It can mm-hmm. be used for anxiety and depression and other things. But having a clear, I I didn't start off going, Oh, I'm going to specialize in trauma. It kind (laughs) of came to me. Yeah. You know how that goes. Yes. (laughs) And therefore, once I bought into and believed in my own life and my own healing, you know, whatever works for you, then I had my whole team. So now it's a requirement to be trained in EMDR to come Mm -hmm. on board which I didn't used to do, but now it's such a part of our vocabulary, our language. Trauma is at the heart of what we do. And Mm -hmm. I needed someone informed to Mm -hmm. understand trauma-informed therapy. So that became a requirement now to come work at Pathways. So I really hear um, to like go back to originally you
0: were talking about the importance of values in, you know, your branding in your policy and procedure and how you're creating your business that you can hear that come through and okay, well, at first I didn't realize this needed to be a requirement, but now it really does because it's aligning with um, our brand and, and what we're known for. And therefore we need to have people that are capable and competent to provide that to the clients that are seeking us out which makes sense.
2: Exactly. Because as I would get referrals for EMDR, I had, and that's how it grows. You know, I didn't have any more room. And so then I needed someone else that was trained in EMDR because if they're coming to me for EMDR and I'm full, that's how it started. I was like, oh, then I'm going to have to have another EMDR trained clinician Mm -hmm. to take on what I can't handle. And that's how it started. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense too. Um, and I feel like art therapy is very similar in a way, not similar in terms of the treatment approach, but it's similar in that it is a niche offering that only a certain number of people are trained in and in my community where I'm at, um, there's not another private practice, you know, that an art therapy based private practice. And so I really had to do the same thing to bring on other art therapists to work with me um, so that I could refer people that I couldn't take. Um, Cause you just get, you get too busy. And then when you're, when you start adding, you get even busier because now you're the program you know, the administrator for your practice and you have all those things to like work through in your brain.
2: Exactly, exactly. And that leads me into my next, man, I wish I would have done it a long time ago as I built a group practice for 12 years. I thought I could do it all. I could answer the phone. I could do the intakes. I could see the clients. I could onboard people. Absolutely not. I look back, (laughs) the best decision I ever, ever made was to bring on an administrative assistant. She's phenomenal, you know, really taking your time to find the right person. Game changer. I wish I would have done that a long time ago talking about systems because that helps you hone in on the system because you that person's going to take over the intake calls. They are going to onboard your clients, the whole team, mine onboard the whole team's clients. They schedule the clients. They make sure all the paperworks in before the first session. Like we have to have that in order to schedule with the client, All the paperwork needs to be done. Then we'll schedule with you. We've learned that the hard way it's because we found that some people are showing up to the session without their paperwork done. And of course we can't do therapy ethically without all the consent forms signed. So we now have a policy that all the forms have to be in first, then we'll get you scheduled mm. and onboarded. And that was a game changer too. That reduced our no-show rate for first to almost next to nothing now. I mean, because we know they're vested enough because they filled out the paperwork and that takes time. They filled out their credit card information. They've got everything all ready to go. And the ad, our admin Taylor, who's amazing. Then she, what she does is she's like, okay, we're all set. I've got everything I need. Now we'll get you scheduled.
1: Mm.
0: That is really amazing. And, um, and I appreciate you bringing that up because it really speaks to this idea that once you create a system you need to be flexible and update that system
2: when it's no longer working for you, <laughs> which happens. It does, because it gets frustrating when you're like waiting for somebody to come on and you've booked out your time and they're nowhere to be found. Now there's some exceptions, there's emergencies and things like that. But what we found is there's so much front, front end investment. And if the client's willing to do that, Therefore, now they're more invested in the process. That's something like you said, you tweak, you change, you pivot as you get information and you learn or you hear something you're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Oh, mm-hmm. I had never thought to do that first. I'm going to try it and see how it goes. Right. If it doesn't work, you can always change it back but
0: it sounds like it was a real. it's a really great, um, system. The, the fear voice that I hear people, you know, coming up, well, that might turn people away, but in reality, no, it's just going to, to turn away the people that weren't committed to coming in the door in the first place. So you're not losing out on anything you're gaining.
2: You're gaining and you're gaining an upfront a way to approach it, to say, in order to legally have therapy, we have to have all the forms in and you explain it to the client. Mm-hmm. And therefore, once we have all the forms in, we know you're ready to go, we've got everything, you know, we're, we're all set to start your therapy and there's no question mark. And then we're not chasing down people for payment forms it's all right so the clinician can just go take a deep breath and do what they love to do which mm-hmm. is work with the client yeah
0: I love that that's so great very cool this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast is brought to you by Florida Art Therapy Services my group practice um I just wanted to share with you that we are offering a host of continuing education trainings In December, uh, starting in December and going into the spring of 2023. Um, On December 12th, we're going to be offering a six hour supervision um, training specifically for art therapy. Um, I know for folks that happen to hold the ATRBC. The ATCB issued um, like a new requirement where we're all responsible for having six hours of art therapy uh, supervision CEs for our recertification periods. And, um, so we're offering that it's a really fun training. It's going to be online and it will be interactive and experiential. We'll be making lots of art throughout the training. Um, so you can find that on our website, www.floridaarttherapyservices.com. If you click on the continuing education tab, the menu will drop down with all of the trainings that we're offering. Um, Additionally, we'll be teaching the 12-hour qualified supervisor training and the four-hour qualified supervisor refresher training for licensed folks in Florida. We have several opportunities for those in the spring. Um, We're going to be offering uh, medical errors and domestic violence training, which are required for our license renewal in Florida. So uh, check those out. And uh, we'll also be, we're working on adding some more art therapy specific intensive offerings in 2023. So we'll be sharing those with you, I'm sure, in uh, the um, this season two of the show uh, that'll air in 2023. So yes. I think we should go back to this idea of hiring an assistant but making sure that you're taking the time to find the right person. And I'm wondering if you have any wisdom on what that process is like for folks that perhaps have never interviewed anybody to, they've never been in a managerial position or leadership position to hire somebody on as an employee or staff member or intern or whatever. Do you have any wisdom about how to structure that to really make sure that um, people are finding the right person for their group?
2: The first thing I did and I recommend is you're doing a brain dump of everything you would want this person to do. It's a job description, but in order to get to the job description, you're, you're, you're writing out everything that would need to be done and the skills that would need the client or the, the employee or independent contractor, whoever it is, would need to fulfill that skill. Those, those job requirements. That was my first step. And I just spent, I just put a, I I put like a timer on my phone And Mm -hmm. I really focused on, I have to get this done and I have to be clear. And it's a working document. You can Mm -hmm. add to it. That's why I like Google Docs. You can add to it as you go, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I forgot that I want them to do the quarterly newsletter. Oh, I forgot that I want them to um, handle my inbox. I'm making this up, but you get Mm -hmm. the idea. You can put it all on there. That was my first step. The second step was to see what kind of skill level requirements would I need? Um, college level education, would I need high school level education? What would I need? Um, and then secondly, I wanted someone vested in mental the mental health field. Mm-hmm. I really felt like that was important, that they had a passion, that they had a connection to the mm-hmm. mental health field, because then they're more invested in what the mission of, pathways and helping people find healing that was really important to me i wanted somebody um that had that's trustworthy of course all the things right authentic vulnerable transparent all those things too um so then after i did that i floated it out to my team i sent the job description i i typed it up i said do you have anything to add i wanted this is where collaboration i'm still the leader. I'm open to feedback. I love to see, okay, is there anything I missed? Mm -hmm. That's how I found the person. They Mm -hmm. found the person and said, I have the perfect person that I think would be great. I said, wonderful. Send them the job description, see how it resonates with them. See if they like it. This person happened to be getting, she happens to be getting her master's Mm -hmm. in mental health counseling, has all the skill requirements. She's a former police officer, um, had her own therapy. Like she fit the bill. And so that's how I found her. It was through asking people I care about that get us, that care about pathways. They Mm -hmm. want someone just as good as I do. Yeah, of course. And then interviewing, I found out our, you know, a little bit, of course, you want to get to know them. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What attracted you to the job? um, What on the, you know, what is your, what do you think, qualifies you for the job? What would make you the best candidate for the job? And then I would really walk through the reality of the job. Like you're going to hear hard situations. You might have a suicidal client on the line. Mm -hmm. And how would you feel about that? You know, I'm going to, of course you train and equip the person, but I had to ask some hard questions. Mm -hmm. Um, what expectations do they have of the job? Because if their expectations of what they think it is, I like to just paint the picture of what it will be. And I left it as you're the first person in this job. We are going to be doing this together. We're going to be tweaking as we go. I'm looking to you for feedback. We're going to have an ongoing conversation about how we can make this better. And I was available at the beginning often because I had to make sure she felt equipped.
0: Oh, totally.
2: Yes. And now she's run. She's, she's got it. I mean, I, she will check in with me if she has a question and then I check in with her, how you doing? You know, and when she comes to the team meeting, she's a part of our team. So she's there at the team meetings. I invite her to trainings. Mm-hmm. I include her on anything we're doing to be a part of the team. And that's important to me that they love pathways as much as I do. I mean, I'm the owner might not love it as much as I do. <laughs> and they're vested in Um, the process and the mission. I love that. Yeah. I, it's interesting when
0: sometimes we think, oh, I have to go this other route of like, I need to advertise um, this position, like in the traditional way of like putting it out there, but then you don't get that, um, that level of curation because people are responding to it, but they might not really understand where your colleagues they know. And, and so they're able to make that recommendation, uh, which is really cool and probably saves you a ton of time and energy uh, because you didn't have to go through the process of interviewing a lot of folks that did not fit the description. Um, I've done the interviewing process for an assistant, an in-person assistant, in-office assistant, a long time ago, this was a few years ago. And, um, and oh, it was hard. Those interviews were hard. And it was hard to like tell people, I'm sorry, you didn't make, you know, you didn't get the cut. I had somebody get really mad at me. <laughs> and I was
2: like, oh, okay, yeah. well, my instincts were on that.
0: <laughs> my instincts were right on there. <laughs>
2: Yes. It's validating to go, okay, I made the right choice by not bringing you on.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. If you're going to get mad at me because I'm saying, oh, you don't quite meet the, you know, what what we're asking for. um, That was a good sign that it was not going to be an effective dynamic. Um, But now I too have somebody in their master's program and she's wonderful. And um, she's Receptive and you know takes feedback well. And again, she cares about mental health. She cares about the work that we do. And she actually started as an undergraduate student intern. She was trying to figure out if she wanted to go into therapy for graduate school, and um, and so she came on and an undergraduate intern so just doing administrative stuff helping me with all the administrative stuff which my other assistant at the time was like training her and and helping her and when that assistant left she was like I think we should ask Leanne if she would want to do the position and um and so it all it worked out really really well
2: that's beautiful yeah, even tapping into your intern, like you said, that's amazing, right? Here she is, yes, and and things are going
0: great. Um, excited. She's in her like second year of grad school and starting internship this year, so her time is a little bit. Um, you know, she only has a certain amount of time to dedicate to the the job, but that's okay because she does it remotely and she zooms in on the team meetings just like you, you know, you're talking about. I think we have a very similar approach in how we think
2: about the way we're doing the business piece. I think we do too, because my assistant's in Arizona and we're in Indiana. (laughs) Yeah. Who would have thought we could do this remotely and it works seamlessly that's amazing. I yes, love she's still a part of the team and she still feels connected. And then we also have what's called group me. It's an app oh. and we communicate with each other. Um, let's say we have something going on personally and we just need a little uplift or a prayer request or something like that. Or we need something, someone's computer died. And she's like, does anyone have a backup computer? And we can communicate with each other outside of counseling hours on personal things on the Group Me app. So it keeps the connection of the team going mm-hmm. and like that. builds that camaraderie and support. And then we're there to acknowledge hard things that we all go through. You know, losses and hardships and illnesses and births and deaths and
0: yeah. Life life together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I tried to set up something similar in, um, in the Google suite where it's like a chat feature, but it, it just didn't take. Um, so I'll look into that group me,
2: group me. And it's an app on your phone and it seems to be really, and we can do pictures. So if someone has a baby or, you know, you see grandkids or their kids, we can see each other's families and you don't have to participate if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. And we strongly encourage people so they feel connected. We mm-hmm. want them to feel a part of the team. They want, we want them to feel like they belong. And so that's another avenue to feeling like you're connected to everybody outside of just the counseling hours. Yeah. Which is,
0: it, it is really challenging when we are working different schedules. Sometimes, like um, last week, there was several of us in the office and at the same time, and one of the therapists is like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. (laughs) Uh, Because oftentimes, you know, we're like passing each other or like we're in the rooms at the same time, but might leave before we get to say hi, bye to the other person. Um, So having that dedicated space to continue to maintain connection and support
2: is really helpful. It is. Our team does the same thing. Like we got to see everybody. We have three different locations. So sometimes that's hard to see each other. So when they do get to see each other, they're so excited. We do quarterly get togethers, mm. different events. We'll go to like a play together. We've done um, a cookout, you know, at the back of the building, it's on an Our main office is on an acre and a half. Oh. We've done, um, Oh, we've done so many things. We've done equine therapy together. Fun. I mean, so we try to do fun things together as a team out four times a year outside of, you know, the counseling hours also.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So the last thing that I wanted to talk to you about is as the administrator who's responsible for this group, who probably has created a fair amount of the the stability of the income within the group from their own clientele, how do you start to make adjustments in the role so that you can be more effective in terms of the administrative processes of things, because that takes time. And if you're seeing a full caseload of clients, the amount of extra time that you have to dedicate to those types of uh, like programming or, or, you know, changes in systems, it's limited. Um, Can you share a little bit of what you've learned over the years about
2: how do you navigate that balance? Still navigating it to, to be real, this is a journey for me. I have slowly pared down my client direct client hours. So I started paring down and having more boundaries around the day. So now I'm on Wednesdays and Thursdays and I only have those slots available. And I'm, I'm really worked on just filling those slots on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And once those are full, those are full. And when I get referrals, which You probably get the same thing. I still get a lot of referrals. Our Taylor, who our admin knows that to say I'm full and offers a recommendation on who would be a good fit Mm -hmm. for the client based on, you know, she knows all the therapists. And so we can plug that person in to another therapist the hardest part for me is when a client wants to come back, I was telling you at the beginning, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I love that client. Oh, I could squeeze them in. And then I've, I'm i really operating outside my boundaries because mm-hmm. I haven't taken new clients in years. I, I I put that boundary in a long time ago, but I still have clients. And then I would still work with clients that I've worked with in the past that are coming back in for a checkup, or maybe they need a little bit more EMDR. And I'm really working on going down to one day a week. Cause I still love working with clients sure. and I want to work with, I still want to work with some clients. I just don't have the capacity energetically mm-hmm. to work at the level I've been working at. So to use your word that we, I love is a pruning. Like what I am craving now more than ever is more energy for mm-hmm. creativity, more energy to lead better, more energy for myself and the things I want to do to create. I can't do that if I'm putting all, all my energy is pouring out into clients. Yeah, I have learned that over the years. I, it's hard to do both. So I'm pruning away and I'm working on going down to one day a week mm-hmm. for client direct client hours. And then I'll see how that feels. I'll try that out. I know a lot of group practice owners don't see clients at all they don't work with any clients. Right. I know, which I was surprised to
0: learn that. Um, but I think it makes sense in like the long-term trajectory of things, really recognizing that you can't be all things to all people and you have to choose, right? You have to, to really you have to really choose where is, where is my energy going to be best invested in order to stay true to what I'm trying to accomplish? And to be ethically minded um, as well, I know that energy piece is a huge thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, How much much energy do I have in my battery? What am I able to accomplish in a given day? Because I'm like one of those people that will power through and I'll get stuff done even if it is not best for me because I'm like, I'm so driven by what I'm doing.
2: (laughs) I'm the same, we're cut from the same cloth. We're cut from the same cloth. It's something I will continuously work on. I think I had a mindset for a while. I know this has shifted of, okay, uh, the, the income, like, oh, if I, I can make this amount of money, if I see this amount of clients mm-hmm. and it was like a mindset. So what if I add one more, you know, it's okay. It, it, then that's one more. And then I would have this, okay, for income wise, that will be that I can do that. I can then pay for X, you know, and I had this mindset and I've really shifted that to trying to say, there's plenty to come in and a, like the really opening up and expanding to say, I don't need to live in fear of not having enough. I can always add more if I needed it. Yeah. The cl- there's plenty of to go around. Like it's still going to be there. It might come in a different form. It might not come directly from the one-on-one client work. It might come in a different form through the therapist we're bringing in, through different programs, through different offerings. And it's, and my energy will be more abundant rather than this constricted energy of this is how I make the money. Cause I've always made the money this way, right? And if I just add one more, I can make this X amount. That mindset wasn't serving me. It was depleting me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I'm glad that you shared that, because
0: I think that that's a common thing that we as therapists think about. And I hear sometimes people talking about seeing 35 people a week or, and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, gosh, that's terrifying. (laughs) Like, I, I just, I can feel how withered away I would be and, and how I would have nothing to give to myself, to the people in my life that, you know, outside of work, which we're supposed to have a life outside of work. Um, You know, the work that we do is important and, and of course it is meaningful and it makes a difference, but we can't, we can't help everybody and we're not going to help everybody well if we're serving from that place of depletion no
2: and i've worked with my clinicians to step into the their blocks around money because i talk about well let's raise your rates i mean yes. you're doing really you are offering such an important level of service to the client and the fear that comes back I also can struggle with the same thing. I work a lot with my clinicians on that. Like, let's start, let's charge what you're, let's charge what you're worth. It's not about your worth. It's about the value you're bringing to the client. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a tough one. It's a tough one as a, as a group practice owner too, to say, I want them to feel the, uh, that level of freedom to charge without the guilt. Yeah. I still struggle with it myself. I'm not acting like, Oh yeah, I don't have any guilt about what I charge. Cause it's something I have to personally work through too, mm-hmm. but then they don't have to see so many clients. Right. That's part, like the natural scheme of
0: things. I also think too, it's, I think it's a very interesting phenomenon where in our field in particular um, that there's this negative bias about, um, shaming the therapist for raising their rates because, you know, their moral character or something is, um, in question because of this, like that they're somehow taking advantage of people. And I just find that so disturbing because, are in like our cost of living is going up too. Why, why should a therapist be expected to maintain the same, maintain the same rate indefinitely, right? Like no, every other business, the rates go up, fees go up, milk, the cost of milk goes up. The cost of bread goes up. The cost of therapy goes down doesn't make sense. It doesn't. I, I totally agree with you. I, ha- I feel like we have to do a lot of shame shedding in yeah. our profession. Ooh, I
2: love that shame shedding. <laughs> I am. I love that. That needs to be trademarked. Shame shedding, shame shedding. Yeah. It's brilliant. That's exactly what it is because then we feel guilty and bad. Like, oh, I'm a bad person because, or I'm a bad, you know, I shouldn't be charging this because they can't afford it. And then I feel bad and it's a whole thing. And then they come in, I had one one case and I had a client come in and, you know, try to negotiate the rate. And then they pull up in a, in a very nice brand new car. And I'm like, what wait a minute. I thought you were really hurt for, it was one of those. It was so powerful for me. In my own shame story around charging and money, mm-hmm. It was so powerful. It was for me. It was it wasn't it didn't matter about the client. It was for me. It was an opening invitation for me to go, "Oh, this is for me and to rumble through my shame story around charging too much. right? Yeah,
0: for sure we're We're constantly like butting up against our own stuff, I think, as business owners, where if we're in a community mental health or a nonprofit or even in education, like we don't there's no money exchange. We just do our thing and keep it moving, and we get our paycheck at the end of the day. We don't have to really address all that. But as soon as you're out there on your own, you it comes up, and you're like, oh, Why is that coming up? Why do I feel that I have to give everything away at a lower rate? Um, I've shared before how a number of years ago, I was looking for a therapist myself and I had set up an appointment with, I had gone through the call, set up an appointment, but on the call before I could even like say anything about the fee, they they renegotiated their rate lower, um, on the call. And, um, and I had, and I still made the appointment, but I ended up canceling it because I started processing afterwards and it made me feel very insecure (laughs) about like, well, why is that? Why are they like so quick to reduce their rate? They're not confident
2: in their ability. Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's powerful for you. Like to notice that go, Oh, I, that, that didn't make me feel safe even. Right. Like, they don't have the confidence in their and what they're offering. Mm-hmm. That didn't feel good in your nervous system. No, it did not. It didn't. And, but it taught me something
0: as well. In how I handle my calls and when I'm talking about fees and to just say it out loud, pause and breathe and hold the empty space, do not fill the empty space, allow that person to hear it, allow them to make the decision and the choice and then you know close the conversation. But to not try to rush through that, that part.
2: That's so, that's so helpful to just sit in your sit and breathe through your own discomfort mm-hmm. yep. as the comp, just let it be.
0: Cause I certainly what didn't want to
2: replicate that, that,
0: you know, on, on, that what I experienced backpedaling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: That's really helpful.
0: So, um, yeah, I think that's an important thing, not to, not to be afraid about losing income by raising your rates or losing income by pruning and cutting back in certain areas. Uh, Because when you're cutting back in certain areas, that's opening up space for you to have more creative energy to work on the next
2: thing that you're working on. Like maybe a book. Yes. (laughs) that I'm really going to work on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hope. Yes. Um yeah, love that. Well,
0: I am so happy that we had this conversation today and I hope listeners enjoyed it too. If they wanted to reach out to you, get in touch with you, or maybe they know somebody in Indiana that might need your services or your group services, where
2: can they find you? So a couple of places, I have a podcast too, called close the chapter, which I would love to have you on. Um, so you can find that on all platforms and then for the group practice pathways, it's a long name pathways to T O healing counseling.com is the group private practice. And then if you want more just on closing the chapter, I have lots of resources on my personal website at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D Boyce, B-O-I-C-E.com. And if you want a free journal to kind of, that I use with clients as maybe you could use it for clients or whatever, you can go to kristindboyce.com forward slash free resources. All and right. that can be emailed to your inbox.
0: Awesome. Well, I will definitely put that in the show notes and I'll put the link to the group practice and the podcast, which the podcast is on
2: your um on your personal page, right? Not your yes. group. It's on both, but oh, the, it's on both. The, it's on both. But the personal my personal page has more of a transcripts from all the episodes. Um, I think we're at 178 episodes. So oh my goodness. It goes that's amazing. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Well thank you so much, Rena, for having me on. Thank you. I'm I'm so grateful. Me too. I am incredibly grateful we're on this journey together. Uh,
0: Me too. Um and I'm excited um as we continue to move forward and see what happens in the next year.
2: Me too. Thank you
0: so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Kristen and you got great ideas about things to be thinking about if you are developing a group practice or maybe you're a solo practitioner now, but you realize that you do want to expand and add on other therapists to your practice, she gives some really great practical tips on helping advance, um, advance that uh, goal in a way that kind of sets you up for success. All right, everybody, I will talk with you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.